Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you first to the Women in Medicine Summit for sponsoring this episode. The Women in Medicine Summit is a transformative CME conference experience unlike any other. It's an event for women in medicine, allies, and truly anyone in the healthcare space. Attend this year's summit in Chicago. It is this week, September 16th and 17th, to learn leadership skills for professional advancement and career development from incredible faculty. There's also going to be an evening of storytelling led by the Nocturnus and a special hashtag MedGrind coffee meetup. I'm really looking forward to being there. I'm proud that Explore the Space podcast is an official sponsor of the Women in Medicine Summit for the third year in a row. Now, the conference is just a few days away. If you have not yet registered for in-person, you can, but there is a virtual option as well. You can sign up for virtual attendance, and all registrants get access to the course content for a full year. Go to www.womeninmedicinesummit.org to register for either the in-person or virtual attendance. Thank you also to the Civic Health Alliance for sponsoring this episode. The Civic Health Alliance Compact for Civic Engagement outlines how health systems can become more civically engaged in advancing the overall health and wellness of their staff and patient populations. To learn more about the Civic Health Alliance, please visit www.civichealthalliance.org. And to register to vote or find your voter registration status, please visit www.civichealthalliance.org forward slash rx dash vote dash campaign. My guest in this episode of Explore the Space podcast is Dr. Marie Bismarck. Dr. Bismarck is a public health physician, a health lawyer, and a health services researcher. She's now also an advanced trainee in psychiatry and serves on the board of directors of several health sector organizations, including the Royal Women's Hospital. She has previously completed a Harkness Fellowship in Healthcare Policy at the Harvard School of Public Health. Dr. Bismarck has published widely on the interface between clinician well-being, patient safety, and healthcare regulation. She is the lead author of the recently published book, Experiences of Health Workers in the COVID-19 Pandemic, in their own words. Dr. Bismarck works and practices in Australia and New Zealand. She joins us from halfway around the world to discuss providing inpatient mental health and addiction care to people admitted with COVID, the importance of rebuilding trust with marginalized people during the pandemic, as well as writing this book about the raw experiences of healthcare workers in their own words and the friction between an overworked healthcare workforce and the need for restorative rest. An amazing conversation with a truly extraordinary physician, advocate, and leader. It was an absolute treat to have Dr. Bismarck on, and it was just really wonderful to connect with someone and find these shared experiences, these shared observations from so far away. Before we get to the conversation, as a quick reminder, you can find me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. You can subscribe to Explore the Space Podcast anywhere you like to download your shows. We're on all of them. A five-star rating and a review really helps us out as well. And definitely share the show with your friends and your colleagues. You can check out the merchandise store for Explore the Space Podcast, www.explorethespaceshow.com forward slash merch. And of course, the whole archive of Explore the Space Podcast and all the fun stuff that we're doing here, www.explorethespaceshow.com. With all that said, let's get right to it with Dr. Bismarck. This was an absolutely extraordinary conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Now, here's Dr. Marie Bismarck. 
Marie, welcome to Explore the Space podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. This is fun. You're about as far away from me, or I'm both direct, both ways, as, as I think anyone who's been on the show before. So this is very cool. You're all the way in New Zealand. I am, and I hope your listeners are okay with my very Kiwi accent. They're going to love it. And the, the, the whole point of this show and you in particular coming on is for us to get that sense of shared experience, connection, and, and what is in your Twitter profile, which I saw and I loved. And our, our shared friend through social media, Dr. Andrew Tag, put us in touch. It says in your Twitter handle, weaving threads of ideas together. And I just loved it. I love that. And that's where we're starting. It's it's five words and you can write a book about it. Why is that at the top of your Twitter profile? I think that's me, really. I don't belong anywhere and I belong everywhere. Um, I think I'm very happy in these kind of liminal in-between spaces. Um, so I chose that for my bio, this idea that, that what I'm about is connections and bringing together rather than belonging in one particular place. As a psychiatrist who is helping take care of and study physicians and healthcare professionals during the pandemic, does that mindset of being able to be versatile, of being able to be agile, of being able to move around quickly and bring ideas, people, entities together, is that helpful? Is it a point of friction or is it not really germane one way or the other? I think it makes me very curious about people's yeah. experiences. And I love being able to try and understand the perspectives of our patients and the communities we serve and at the same time hold space for how hard this has been for our healthcare workers. Um, I really enjoy sitting with complexity and really trying to understand and hold multiple perspectives at once. When you think about the idea of complexity, we are all obviously immersed in it. Mm. What for you are the places where you say, that's the kind of complexity that I feel really comfortable in? And those are the spaces that make me feel a little bit uncertain. Mm. And then how do you sort of navigate that? Acknowledging that as a psychiatrist, you might not know who is going to come in the door and what they're going to necessarily present to you. And you have mm. to be ready to kind of take it all on board. Yeah, for sure. So just to clarify, I'm an advanced trainee in psychiatry. So I have um, about eight months of my training program left to go before I'm a fully qualified psychiatrist. Um, but to answer your question about the kind of complexity. So I do a lot of work in the emergency department, providing emergency mental health care in the emergency department. And normally when we see people in crisis as a doctor, we are separate from the trauma that they have experienced. So when I look after someone who's been in a car accident, I'm not also a victim of the car accident myself. But when we are caring for people who are distressed by what's happening with the pandemic. We as healthcare workers are living through that as well. So there's this really interesting situation that we're no longer at a distance or, or removed from the, the source of distress and trauma that 
as healthcare workers, we're living through the pandemic alongside all of our patients. Does that make it harder or easier than for you? And I guess also for us, because as you're saying that, even though you're about as far away from me physically as you could Mm. be, that resonates just as much as it would if we were in the same hospital. Mm. Does that make it harder or easier to then do the work? So in some ways, it creates this sense of, of empathy and a human connection with our patients that when they talk about how difficult it is to be separated from family interstate or overseas or the grief that they have for really crucial life milestones that they've missed out on because of the pandemic. So perhaps not being able to be there for the birth of a new baby or to attend someone's funeral, those then become shared experiences because almost all of us have had those experiences of being separated from loved ones or missing out on really important life milestones. But at the same time, providing mental health care, it's really important that we're able to centre our patients' experience rather than our own. And so in some ways, it becomes a little bit more challenging to hold that therapeutic space for them and to remember that this is about their experience, not our own. How much has it sort of redefined your training and how much have your you know the the attendings the faculty that you work with the conferences that you go to the way you and your colleagues talk about your work talk about your careers how much has the paradigm and nomenclature shifted or do you think that what you're describing now would have still been sort of the, some of the defining characteristics of the first phase of your mm. of your career that's a great question so i trained as a public health physician before i began my training in psychiatry. As I said, I love weaving threads of ideas together. And what has really happened in the pandemic is that many inequities have become very, very visible. So in that sense, I've really been working at the intersection of my public health training and my psychiatry training. For much of the pandemic, I was working on the COVID wards, uh, providing mental health and addiction care to people who had been admitted to the wards with COVID. And you just could not ignore the intersectionality of inequalities that are driving this pandemic. So one of my colleagues said that this is not a pandemic of infection, it's a pandemic of inequality. And we really, really saw that, that I would receive a call about somebody on the COVID ward who had an acute mental illness, whether they had a a psychosis or were having a manic episode or were acutely intoxicated. And so often you would see that they were perhaps homeless, that they may have physical disabilities. Many of the people we saw were migrants to Australia. They had their mental illness laid over the top of that and then this infectious disease. And so you really couldn't separate the clinical care you were providing from individuals from the fact that at a population level, COVID has really disproportionately affected the most vulnerable communities. In this theme and space of weaving threads together and finding connection, as hard as it is to hear you make those descriptions, there is a sense of, I guess, connection or 
I don't know what the right word necessarily is, but there's certainly a shared space there because that's what we experience here too, right? I'm in Northern California. And what you just described is exactly what we do on the COVID unit here and what we deal with here. And, you know, the, the rock flipping exercise and then looking underneath these boulders and you see this stuff in specific relief, like the, the, the threat multiplication that COVID has done of these social determinants of health is absolutely stunning. Oh, I love that, that phrase, really threat, threat multiplication. What a, what a great phrase. Yeah. And actually, I learned it from the space of studying climate change. And, and, and as I learn more and more about climate change, it's this, uh, the term of climate change is a threat multiplier. But so is COVID, right? The things that are already there, it just makes them 10x worse, 20x worse, infinitely worse, both for those trying to manage to them and obviously, worst of all, those who are experiencing them. Mm-hmm. But I think that acknowledging, again, this idea that we are physically far apart, but we are having these shared experiences as a physician community and as a healthcare professional community. I don't want to give up the idea that there's value in that, that somehow that's going to be a really important part of our career. It can certainly sound naive. I'm a mid-career physician. I don't like pie in the sky stuff and I don't use platitudes, but I'm not willing to let go of that idea yet. Mm. And certainly the pandemic has brought people together in in many ways. So here in Melbourne, um, we had very, very low numbers of COVID cases for a long time. We had one of the longest lockdowns in the world. So for over 200 days, we were under a very stringent lockdown, but we were listening and learning from our colleagues overseas. And the flourishing of these online spaces where clinicians would set up Facebook groups or have private Twitter messages with their colleagues internationally and this incredible sense of of generosity of spirit and collegiality and sharing of what was happening in the US so that we could try and better prepare ourselves before COVID reached us here. And those connections for me have been one of the real joys that have emerged through all of this. I would say the exact same thing. And and I'm more comfortable, I think, now than I was before. And I'm curious what it's like for you and for your teammates to acknowledge that amidst all of the difficult stuff that we've had to do, that has been a good thing. That has been a net positive amidst the overwhelming tidal wave of things that have been hard and sad and grueling and persistent. That fact that we have this larger shared community that we can learn from really quickly and engage with and do podcasts with. That, that's a, that is a good thing. I am curious, though, that as you're, you're finishing up your training, you have a, a, a wealth of experience already behind you. And you've done different types of training. How much did the experience of training during the pandemic differ or was it not different at all from the previous training exposures that you've had? And how much has it sort of defined the experience of wrapping up your training and doing the research that you've been doing? I've learned some really important things by doing part of my psychiatry training during the pandemic. I've learned a lot about trust. So um, a number of our patients have have not been vaccinated. And it's been so interesting for me that often many of them have very, very good reasons to distrust authorities. Many of them have come from refugee backgrounds or have had experiences of being 
persecuted or, or not treated well by government agencies. And so there's been profound trust in the very agencies who are trying to encourage people to be vaccinated. And one of the most um, moving experiences I had was with a young man who was not vaccinated and was living with some very vulnerable elderly family members. And I, I tried to have my usual conversation about the benefits of vaccination, which was just not going anywhere. And so I just sat with him and we talked and we talked about his grandmother's recipes that she had brought from their home country and how much it, it meant to him when his grandmother cooked her favourite food. And we talked about his, his hopes and his dreams and what had been lost to him through mental illness and substance use. And I just sat at his bedside and we didn't talk about infections and we didn't talk about vaccinations. And at the end of that hour, he said to me, so doctor, do you think this vaccination's a good idea for me? And I said, I do. And he said, I'll have it because I think you care about me. And that will stay with me for the, for the rest of my time as a clinician about how much of the care that we provide is about those relationships of trust and not the scientific information that we're communicating. One of the defining characteristics of that story, though, is having the, the time and the ability to, to be there. And I think that there are oftentimes presuppositions between patients and their provider that that time doesn't exist or that for whatever reason, and they're, they're valid. I mean, I experienced that when I'm rounding, their time pressures are pulling you in all different directions. Having that focus to say, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of lock in and reshuffle the day or whatever I need to sit and is talk that about a taught skill is yeah. right. But acknowledging that that's valuable and it ended with getting a really important outcome for this person and for the community that they live in. Is that, a, is that a taught skill? Is that something that you have learned along the way or is it a skill that you just sort of have intrinsically and now are working to disseminate acknowledging that it's critically important and it's super hard i've had some really amazing mentors um so when i was doing my addiction psychiatry work uh the consultant psychiatrist um, the consultant physician i worked with he said to me that he didn't treat addiction that he treated childhood trauma and that reframing that he was not treating addiction he was treating childhood trauma completely changed things for me and so what it meant was that people's stories their narratives their childhoods their families their trust in others was absolutely fundamental to my work so I've been incredibly lucky to work with some amazing mentors who, who recognize the healing that happens in those moments of connection and compassion and shared humanity. And as you think about that idea, especially around this, the point of shared humanity, one of the reasons I think Andrew put us together was some of the, the, the tip of the spear work you've done around physicians and healthcare professionals mm -hmm. and their mental health during the pandemic. That's got to be some of the hardest stuff to try to 
not just put in the center and focus on, but actually do research, collect data, mm. write about, publish. I know that there's a lot of it that comes from the United States. There's a lot that comes from all around the world. What mm. has the experience been like? How could you def- sort of define it for listeners who don't understand what the experience may look and feel like in in Australia for whatever reason? Mm. How would you sort of kind of give that strategic view of how it's been, how it's going mm. for the healthcare professionals yeah. where you are? Thanks, Mark. So I was a researcher on the Frontline Healthcare Workers Study in Australia, which was a survey that we did during the second wave of the pandemic. And normally doctors and nurses are terrible at filling out surveys because they're really busy, Um, but we received nearly 10,000 responses to this survey. And right at the end of the survey, there was this open-ended question saying, is there anything else you would like to tell us? Um, And again, it's not a box that people normally fill out, but we ended up receiving nearly 250,000 words of free text responses from healthcare workers. So clearly there was an awful lot that they did want to tell us. And what really shocked me was that some of them said that it was the first time during the pandemic that anyone had asked them how they were going and that this survey on a computer screen was the most heard that they had felt and the most that they had felt that anyone actually cared about their experience of being a healthcare worker during the pandemic. So we we read all of those stories, those 250,000 words, and I couldn't just leave them sitting in a research database. I felt it was so important to make those stories available. So we published a book called Experiences of Healthcare Workers in the COVID-19 pandemic, and it is healthcare workers' stories in their own words. It's, it's very raw, it's very unfiltered, and I hope that it will be useful for people to, to feel that they were not alone with what they went through. Um, that research was some of the hardest research I've ever done, so I've been a healthcare researcher for about 20 years now, and I remember as, the, as we were analysing these survey findings and we realized that one in 10 healthcare workers in Australia was having thoughts that life was no longer worth living and I would go to work and I was working in a really big busy hospital and I'd walk down the corridors and I would see hundreds of healthcare workers all smiling and doing their jobs and providing care with so much skill and dignity and compassion and I knew I knew that one in 10 of those healthcare workers was thinking that life was not worth living. And it just sent chills down my spine trying to reconcile the stories that I was hearing from my research and the smiles on the faces of those healthcare workers. It was was an incredible paradox and one that I felt that I, I needed to explore and to be able to honour their experience. So um, we've published a couple of research papers. Um, There were a group of about 200 healthcare workers who said that almost every day they were having thoughts of self-harm or suicide. So we really analysed their stories in a great deal of detail and and have published those findings in the British Journal of Psychiatry. And they're, they're really moving. Do you have a sense that the stories, the experiences, that one in 10 ratio, do you think that that's probably generalizable across national borders, across different countries? Is that more of a, do you think that's a shared experience for 
any healthcare professional who's been helping take care of patients during the pandemic? Or do you think that there are features that are unique to the Australian experience that would that would drive that number one way or the other? Yeah, so from what I've seen, this is a, a shared experience. And some of those healthcare workers had developed quite profound depression. Some of them were describing post-traumatic type symptoms. Um, and it was interesting what that trauma related to so when I say trauma you know you sometimes think of people with you know blood and and wounds and and physical injuries but the traumas that the healthcare workers were describing were often much more emotional in nature so one nurse said that she her job was to sit with people who were dying and hold iPads while their families said goodbye and she said that it would haunt her for the rest of her life to have heard families calling out and and weeping for a loved one through an iPad while she held this iPad at the bedside of someone who was dying. You know, when you think about the idea of COVID being a threat multiplier, our profession was not ready for this. In terms of having infrastructure, in terms of having processes, in terms of having vulnerability and investment in dealing with this sort of psychological stressors on the workforce day after day after day, we were not ready. I think that's right. We're still not. And, you know what? Because it's not over. That's right. But what I find interesting is that so many healthcare workers said to us that these are not new problems, that these are widening of pre existing cracks. Um, and that, Threat multiplication, right? Absolutely. And that's so much of, yeah. of what was causing this distress were pre-existing problems, like the fact that we grossly mm-hmm. undervalue our aged care workforce. That is not a new problem. And aged care workers no. and nurses have been trying to tell that tell us that for, for decades. But the pandemic yeah. has really widened that pre-existing crack. Um, The fact that marginalized and disadvantaged communities are at increased risk of communicable diseases, that is not a new problem, but it was not a mystery, not a surprise highlighted in a way that we we couldn't ignore. Right, right. You've got a long career ahead of you. You're going to do this work, hopefully for a long time. What are the things that you feel like and what are, I guess, some of the core tenants that you're getting as you wrap up this final phase of training? and get ready to move on to what's next. What do you feel like are the key levers, maybe things that are unique to where you live, but also that are sort of generalizable to the wider experience for all of us that you think can, that that's low hanging fruit, right? Not things that require the multi-billion dollar investment mm. or you know massive political upheaval. What are the things that you would like to see acted on swiftly so that in 2023, 2024, these chasms that have opened up start to narrow at least a little bit? That's a great question. I and think it's not an easy I, I've learned a few things that that the health and well-being of our healthcare workers is so interrelated with the health and well-being of patients that you can't have a healthcare system that provides great care unless someone is taking care of the carers. So for me, that would be one takeaway that unless we care for the carers. We're never going to have a healthy healthcare system. I think the other thing for me is 
that individuals can't do this alone, that it's about communities. Um, there was a lot of talk about self-care and resilience of healthcare workers. And what we heard over and over again is that what keeps healthcare workers well is relationships with others. I guess, you know, we were surprised the impact that closing the tea rooms in hospitals had on healthcare worker well-being, that they were saying that actually the chance to, to sit around a table with their colleagues and, you know, share a cake that someone has brought in to celebrate a new baby and have a cup of tea, debrief about the hard things they've seen, have the chance to laugh, that that a hospital tea room is so much more than a, a tea room. So that sense that that self-care is actually a profoundly relational activity was was so important for me. Um, and that there is nothing wrong with healthcare workers' resilience. You know, we don't need to be teaching healthcare workers to be more resilient, that what we need is healthcare systems that allow them to do their jobs with care and compassion and to have time in their day to sit at a patient's bedside and talk about their Egyptian grandmother's recipes for an hour to, right, to build right. that trust. As we look for these sort of shared experiences and, and connection and weaving threads together, I'm, I am gratified to learn that the shared disdain for the word and themes around resilience exists where you are too, because I've made my opinions on that pretty clear on the podcast and on social media, but uh, it's good to know that we're all kind of viewing it the same way. What do you feel like are the things that quickly bring individuals and groups, right? You mentioned, right, that idea of how we can be together and have meet up for, you know, the tea room. We, you know, we have the, you know, our lounges and stuff like that. What are the quick hitters though? What are the things that for you, for your colleagues, whether it's unique to where you are or that are easily generalized, but what are the things that you like to invite people to do and that you do when you're in the crucible of all of this that, that are sustaining, that feel good and right? There's a lot about recognizing healthcare workers as people who come to work with their own lives and their own stressors. Um, you know, as I said earlier, <laughs> we're not just supporting our patients through the trauma of the pandemic, we're living through it ourselves. So I think recognizing that a lot of people have some really hard stuff going on at home and in their personal lives and and making some space for that. The ability for healthcare workers to take leave when they need it. We heard over and over again that healthcare workers knew that they were burnt out, that they knew they needed some time away, but they were worried that one of two things would happen. That if they took leave, either their patients would miss out because clinics would be cancelled and operating theatre lists would be cancelled and they didn't want their patients to miss out. Or alternatively, their colleagues would have to shoulder that burden and that their colleagues would be carrying the additional workload, and they didn't want that to happen either. And yet we know how important it is for healthcare workers to have some time away to be able to recover and restore their wellspring. And as the, the strains on the healthcare system become greater and greater, it becomes more and more tempting to ask people, to keep pushing through, but we all do need that time to be able to restore our wellspring. It's critical advice. It's easy for us to all nod our heads and say, you're absolutely right. And it's a whole other 
thing to actualize it and to actually go forward and to do it. But it, it remains premium and essential advice. This has been absolutely fantastic. You have mentioned a couple of different things that you've published, a couple of different things that are out there that people can access. What are the places that you like to recommend for people to go and read the work that you and your team have done and also to follow you? Sure. So I'm on Twitter, M. Bismarck, so M for Marie, at M. Bismarck on Twitter. If you enjoy reading scholarly papers, if you go to Google Scholar and search for my name, Marie Bismarck, you'll be able to find all of the peer-reviewed publications and then our book, Experiences of Healthcare Workers in the Pandemic, if you would like to read the raw and unfiltered words of healthcare workers themselves. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes as well. This was a real treat. Thank you for making the time. Thank you for reaching all the way across the the, the planet that we inhabit. And I to hope we get to see you in, in New it's Zealand good. sometime. I have a very trans-Tasman uh, life man. between oh. New Zealand and Melbourne, so please do come and visit sometime. I would love nothing more. That is that is very kind of you. This was an absolute blast. Thank you so much for coming on, Marie. Thank you, Mark. My thanks once again to Marie for joining me on this episode of Explore the Space podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed speaking with her and learning from her. There is a link to her book in the show notes. Her Twitter feed is there as well. Definitely check those out and follow along with the work that she is doing. Thank you also to the Women in Medicine Summit for sponsoring this episode of Explore the Space podcast. The Women in Medicine Summit is coming up in Chicago, September 16th and 17th. If you haven't had a chance to register, it is not too late. You can sign up for either in-person or virtual attendance, and all registrants get access to the course content for a full year. Thank you also to the Civic Health Alliance Compact for Civic Engagement for sponsoring this episode. The Civic Health Alliance is a nonpartisan coalition of health and civic leaders focused on advancing health through civic engagement. To learn more about the Civic Health Alliance, please visit www.civichealthalliance.org. And thanks to you so much for listening. Obviously, there's lots of great podcasts out there. I'm glad you're listening to Explore the Space. Definitely shoot me an email anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. Hit me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show, and check out the entire archive of Explore the Space podcast at our website, www.explorethespaceshow.com. We will be back soon with more great content. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.